Hello, people. This is a bit unusual uh, introduction in Croatian football podcast because first time in the history we, we don't have Lovre with us. Uh, so we are guests, but we are again the host. So my name is Herman Kro. You may re- remember me or, or find me on Twitter. And my guest is Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi. Hi, Herman. Hi, everyone. Uh, uh, so you were here last time uh, with Lovre and you were talking about the beginning of the Euro competition. Uh, can you introduce yourself um, maybe to the yeah, other so audience? I think, I mean... This is now my, I think, my third uh, Croatian footy podcast, which is quite, um, you know, uh, my surprise, I guess. Uh, you know, when we did the first one, um, so um, I think, I think most, yeah, that small sort of Croat community on Twitter. Some people, I think, know me who I interact with them. So I'm obviously I'm in, I'm I'm in, interested in the Croatian national team mostly through through marriage. Uh, obviously, I have a Croatian wife uh, who's from Šibenik. Um, and obviously two kids, my son obviously being part British, part um, Croatian, but he also supports the Croatian national team. Um, and I think, as you know, it's been an, it's been an emotional roller coaster. I think my first tournament I watched was Euro 2008. And about the third match I saw was the penalty shootout with Turkey. And it, it hasn't got any easier emotionally since then. But I think the 2018 World Cup gave us some, you know, something to be proud of and to be happy with. But I think... Probably like you, Euro. It was hard to figure out what this European Championship was. You know, are we at are we at the end of a cycle, or is it still realistic to hope for something? You know, to have to have high hopes for this tournament. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, let me introduce myself. So my name is uh, Herman. It's actually my last name. So, uh, I, I use it uh, in, in on Twitter and here. Uh, I'm 100% Croatian even though my surname doesn't sound like that. Uh, as you can hear by my accent, my native language is Croatian. So uh, you will struggle a bit with my English, but it is what it is. Uh, I have a Twitter account. I uh, started to follow in Croatian 40, and I admire what the, the owner, Lovre, is, is doing. So we started to record podcast. I was a co-host in more than five podcasts for sure so we were a bit lazy in the last uh, let's say half a year year but uh, euro brought us back so uh, of course since the very beginning i'm fan of croatian national team i was born in the mid 80s so i started to follow croatia right in the beginning in the first euro 96 and then it went over here, and it was quite a nice ride, I have to admit. Especially... You, must be about the same, you must be about the same age as Modric, then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 85, uh, a child of 85. People. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly 85. So he's, uh, he was born in the same year as I did. And I, I have a friend, in, in, when we were in high school, he was uh, in a youth team of Inter Zaprešić. And my friend was born in 86. And I remember in high school on the hallway, we were talking and I asked him, this Modric guy, is he good? And he said, yeah, I mean, he's okay. He can play a bit. (laughs) He's not dribbling with the ball. He's not taking any chances. He's just distributing the ball all (laughs) over the field. And And that was my first information about Modric. So this was probably in 2004. 
something like this. When he, he came to Inter, but obviously he was in uh, Zrinski Moster before yeah. that, so he was a well-known name already then. Yeah, but uh, Modric is my generation, uh, same as Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Wayne Rooney, but I'm certainly most proud to share a birth year with, with Modric. And he's a bit better football, pl- football player than, than I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts about the match uh, against Scotland? So we had a 3-1, you could say comfortable win, but it wasn't that easy. Yeah, yeah. even up to 60 minutes, I think it was a bit... Um, <clears throat> I think I think I say that it was the Scottish uh, equaliser, I think, that maybe that tested the resolve a bit because I think it had looked fairly, you know, um, Vlasic got the first goal and then... Scotland just had that period before half-time. I think that was one of those, like, um, reminded me of Ivanishvich at uh, Wimbledon when it rained mm-hmm. against Henman. I think that just, that half-time break, let Croatia compose themselves. Um, and they came up, like, really sharp in the second half. And um, and I think from then it didn't look, like, Scotland just didn't get back into it. But, yeah, it was a little bit tense. Yeah, yeah they, I also had the same uh, thought in my mind about the half-time. It was the perfect... Uh period of game to, to take a rest and to cool down the Scots and I think it, it, it was a lucky event in, in this match but I think it, it, Croatia again showed when, when it matters they perform uh, I think that performance against Scotland was realistic and it's a really shame that we didn't see this kind of performance uh, a few days earlier against the Czech Republic because I think that the quality, Croatia is above Scotland, but it, it's also about uh, being above the Czech Republic. So we... Yeah, I mean, let's say it's, it's hard to, you know, I think you don't want to kind of under, you know, not give respect to, because Scotland did play well, um, but, you know, they're not sort of necessarily an elite team. So I think, you know, you're trying to temper the, uh, you know, I, th- I think I think for a lot of us who, you know, we're discussing it on, we don't really feel the first two games gave, gave actually a decent assessment of the... Um, you know, because Croatia was trying, Dalish was trying weird things with Rebic at centre forward, and you know, he thought, "Is is this the real Croatian national team?" But it, you know, they didn't really seem to have a. Um, they didn't seem to play. They weren't even given a chance to play like they usually play. Yeah. I think at least at least against Scotland, it looked a bit more back to basics. You know, sort of sticking with what you know. Um, and I think that accounted for. You know, I think at least the change from the way Croatia played was mostly down to that. And they say it was put. Put your playmakers in the position to make plays, which somehow in the first two games didn't seem to be happening. Yeah, but I, I think it's uh, pretty realistic when you look at the performances on every big competition. We have a weak games in our groups. For mm. example, in, in 2018 in, in Russia, we didn't play an impressive match against Nigeria in the opening match. And, and, and this is something that ba- basically continued. We played pretty poor against Denmark in the knockout stages. So I think it's it's something realistic. We, we obviously have to have bad matches in every competition. Uh, or a Euro 2016, uh, 2-2 against Czech, Czech Republic after 2-0 two, two lead. So if we have to play bad, I think it's good that we spent those mm-hmm. two, two bad tickets on in, in, in the group stages. Yeah, I mean, I think as well. 
the one thing that Scotland did, and I actually heard I was listening to one one of the um the English podcasts, so the football podcast, which I just kind of was flipping through, but they actually said that like the one thing that Scotland does do um, when they play is that they they tend to leave a fair amount of space between their back line and their sort of in their midfield line. They don't always they don't defend in kind of a deep block, and that sort of tendency to you know to create that space that was the space that Croatia were able to exploit. Whereas if you think you know against Czech Republic, they really struggled to get into positions where they could influence the game. And I think again, it was partly the midfield formation having Brozovic deep, Kovacic kind of doing the, the sort of linking stuff. And most of Modric's work was there, sort of between the centre circle and the Scottish box. And that was where he was given all that space. And he was just, you know, he was just, he dinked one pass over the top that was, you know, that the one that, you know, that was hit against the keeper. And he was just pulling strings everywhere. And I think because you know, he, he was in a space where he was, all his passes were, were you know, offensive. They were attacking passes. He wasn't just knocking it around up the back. And I think that, you know, if you've got any chance against Spain, he has to be, he has to be put in that position, you know, where, where he's making those kind of, you know, game-changing passes. But, you know, sometimes you do wonder if, you know, Spain have got some good man-marking midfielders. I suspect that, you know, someone's going to, you know, their manager's going to watch that video and he's going to think, you know, we need to close him down in that space. If we give him that amount of room, he's going to pick us apart. So I, I do expect an opponent to come prepared. So w- w- when you mentioned Spain, let's go line by line. How w- would we set up a Croatian team? I, t- I don't think we need to discuss about the goalkeeper position because Livakovic is, is a safe choice. So what would be your choice for central defenders, having in mind that Lovren is not available? Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably, um, I mean, I've, you know, I've heard now that, that Barisic is now, when he did, he came on, and you know, a bit in the, in that game, that he is fit. So I have heard this idea, I don't know, some uh, rumour that maybe they might try and play um, Guardiola centrally, but I, 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 would, I would just stick with, you know, basically along the lines of the last game, Guardiola left back, then I'll bring uh, Charlie Katsar in and have him with Vida, and then Juranovic at right back. I just think that's don't mess with that. Um, you know, I think it's probably the safest. And 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 what it does, at least it has width on both sides. It, it's less, yeah, less yeah, kind of lopsided to the left. Yeah, I agree because I think if you have a winning team, then don't change if it's not necessary. In in a Lovren case, it's a necessary, and we have to change this. I think also Duya is the, the man that steps in. Uh, and I agree with you. Guardiola and Juranovic on uh, uh, both flanks uh, because I think they have proved a lot. I don't think we had so offensive and so attacking fullbacks in the past years. I know Varsalko goes uh, in attack a lot, but Juranovic was also impressive uh, in, yeah, in the last, last, last game and I mean Guardiol as a let's say natural central defender he did play in Dynamo left back a lot but he's running forward like crazy so he was constantly constantly in, in attack so remember this big chance when, when he sadly missed because his first touch was pretty poor but it's impressive to see uh not natural left back in this kind of position yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in this area. So I think 
And that's we what were... I thought, you know, even if he, play, he plays left back, when he drops, when he sort of tucks back in, into his own box, it's almost like you've got a third central defender there. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. so I think, I think you've gained some solidity, which with, with Barisic, you just get a pure, a pure left back. So I think yeah. kind of let's, you almost get a centre back and a half because, you know, he's very good. I mean, I know Spain don't play a lot of aerial balls, but, you know, he's very skilled with his feet too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's defensively the strongest, the strongest lineup available. So for midfield, uh, Kovacic, Modric and Brozovic, no doubts for you? Yeah, pretty much. But, but, but the key thing is the, the sequence, the, you know, is like Brozovic is the six, Kovacic is the eight, Modric is the ten. No, you know what I mean? I know they sometimes do the 4-2-3-1, then have, you know, have Brozovic and Kovacic sort of doing the, sort of, you know, bringing the ball up. But I just, I just don't want to see Modric dropping back all the time. You know, trying to, I know, you know, I know he wants to collect the ball, and but that's exactly what an opponent wants. They want him picking up the ball in front of his own back, you know, back line, because then he's not in a position where he can hurt other teams. Yeah, I agree. But uh, sadly, we di- we see these moves occasionally, more more or less every match. That Modric drops deep, like Robert Prosinecki used to go back in his years. Yeah. Uh, I, I I also agree that... Uh, I, even though I think if Brozovic and Modric are two defensive midfielders, I think Kovacic could be also a good choice for attacking midfielders position because he's quick with the ball, he's able to go past anyone, but I think he lacks a bit, let's say, bravery. Well, it's the, yeah, and it's that sort of decision-making in the last third as well. Yeah, um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay, so... When we go to attack, uh, I guess no doubt about Perisic uh, on the left wing, probably our best player alongside Modric on, on this Euro. Uh, and uh, what about two remaining positions for uh, striker and uh, right wing? That That's where it gets tough. I mean, I think in this case, I would still play uh, Petkovic because I, I sent forward. You know, he was... He was he was he was dangerous enough in the last game, and I just think you know just you know he gives them that even sometimes when when they're under pressure, you know if you if you knock a ball up to him, I know it's not always the textbook way to play, but he can always you know he he can win those balls in the way that Bebic can't, and then at least he can he can hold it and he can give other players time to to get forward. So I you know I just it's, it's too risky to try Budimir or someone like that in, at, at this point. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense. So I think he's got that one done. It's it's the right. Right midfield position, I guess that you know. I wasn't mad about trying Blasic there, but I see the reason why he did it is because in order to keep Modric in that advanced sort of ten playmaker spot, when he and Blasic are both playing, it gets a bit. You know, I think sometimes they if you sacrifice the midfield, if you play Blasic as a most advanced midfield, I think you're giving up something else behind them in terms of passing. So I think stashing him out on the right, sort of, and then letting him cut in, sort of, is a way, yeah, it's a way to accommodate him. It does mean that he's not really a, a right winger. He's not going to go round anyone, yeah, and cross it with his right foot. But I sort of, if there isn't really anyone else, I mean, I think Ivanovic is the only other player who probably could play there, and it's a little bit that is that is riskier. Um, I kind of like his hustle, things like that, but I, I just think, yeah. Vlasic, he he for the first half he was probably the best player. Yeah. Uh, against Scotland, so I'd probably keep him. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I agree with like 80% of the things you said. Uh, so Petkovic sh- should start. Uh, I mean, he was in a winning team last uh, in the last match. So this theory is going in into his favor. But um, I think the big problem is because Rebic is obviously out of form. I think Rebic as a striker would be ideal for the Spain match because you have to put pressure on them when they got the ball. And the ability in terms of movement, when you compare uh, Petkovic and Rebic, it's crazy. So I'm afraid that we will have a lack of pressure on on their build-up when they have the ball. And Rebic would be ideal ideal choice here. So I would go with with the same trio in the attack, Perisic, Petkovic and Vlasic, because they proved their point in the last match. But if the things go wrong in, in, uh, after 60 minutes, I'm, I'm surely seeing uh, Rebicin and probably Brekalov. But uh, I, I think we... Another thing in, into Rebic's favor is the, the fact that we will probably play on counter-attacks mostly because they will have the ball. They will yeah. probably lose it in some moment and then we have Modric who can make an incredible pass and we have very quick Perisic, we have uh, Vlasic and Petkovic that are not so so quick, yeah. especially, especially Petkovic, so so having Gerevic in this kind of situation or yes. even Breklo would be great maybe then the perfect scenario could be 60 minutes, we have a draw nil-nil or 1-1 one, one. then you bring Gerevic and Breklo who are able to, to escape their defense and no doubt if we have a draw situation in 60 minutes they will push more and more and uh, leave the defense open yeah no I think I, I mean as you know it's almost a shame that Rebic didn't actually he hasn't actually had a chance to play in the position that you know he mostly played in the in the World Cup and, and, you, and you're right that is that you know as you know as I said because Lashish isn't really that right winger um, Rebic would cause, was, would cause much more trouble down that side and, and and as you said like the pressing I think and sort of hustling and I think it's a, it's a Jordi Elba whoever plays for Spain down that you know down that side um, they the Spanish fullbacks aren't mad about having players in their face like that all the time um, and yeah I think it could I could see him forcing an error or something like that that then turns into a an opportunity yeah yeah. Uh, any any comments about the Spain team? Because do, do you do you think that I mean realistically, I think this is the weakest Spain yeah. in the last ten years for sure. Because maybe we are not realistic. Because we, when we think about Spain in the last ten years, we always think about the names uh, Ramos, Iniesta, Xavi, and all other amazing players. But this is new Spain. Uh, with Dani Olmo. Uh, do you think, uh, do you agree with me that this is the weakest Spain or do you think that these players are new future stars and that we are going to see Spain going very far in this tournament? Well, this is, you know, as I said, I mean, I watched, you know, I watched a bit of them in the, in, in the early group games and I saw that even the first half against Slovakia, they basically got handed, handed two goals and I thought this team just, they can't score. 
And then somehow, I don't know, they found five. But, you know, some of the, they were playing a broken team. You know, I mean, to score three on a team that was already kind of, you know, they had a bit of a collapse. Um, you know, I mean, I've seen, I remember like Morata a little bit from seeing him before, but he doesn't strike here into, you know, I think he's technically adept. But, you know, I, I agree. It's like there's probably, I mean, for me, it's like the, if, if, if Busquets ends up, Mark, you know, man marking, also basically shadowing Modric. I think that's that's going to be a key, you know, because he's he's pretty good. I mean, he's he's old he's old now, but he can probably still do a job. But there's no one at the back that particularly worries me. You know, I think you sh- Croatia should be able to score against this team. Yeah, but then again, I think our defense is a bit shaky, and uh, especially <laughs> yeah. with uh, with Juranovic and uh, Guardiola, we can say inexperienced, especially on this high level. So yeah. I, I saw some somewhere a prediction of expected goals for Spain. It's like 1.7. And I, I can see Spain scoring a goal. So Yeah, they'll definitely. I'm pretty sure they'll score at least one. Yeah, yeah it, it will be tough. But uh, I, I was really surprised today when I realized and I tweeted about this. Croatia never won a knockout match on Euro in their history. So... It's a disturbing information. Yeah, I know. Yes, I know. And as I said, in the old days, when you went straight from the groups into the uh, into the quarterfinals too, yeah, like yeah. now you've got the round of sixteen to navigate. And I, yeah. I still think of that. You know, Euro Euro twenty sixteen when, when you know Croatia looked looked fairly strong, and then just got kind of tactically, you know, sort of almost stalemated by Portugal and sort of didn't really have any ideas, and then and then got done in whatever the back end of extra time. You know, all it takes is. I always think, in a way, this is. It's better that I think Croatia's coming in maybe a little bit. They've not had the best group state. I think, I, yeah, I, I, I always sort of think in a way there's less pressure um, because, you know, topping the group and then having all these expectations. Um, they, they know they're going to have to play well to win. I'm I'm pretty nervous about the game because it's, as you said, it's that record of, you know, let's win a knockout first. I mean, has the World Cup, did the World Cup dispel any of these kind of, you know, Anxieties or fears of knockout matches. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think uh, we could see that Croatia is not handling uh, pressure very well in the situation when they, where they are favorites. Yeah. So we had this in 2016. We killed everyone in the group, and uh, we played Portugal, and we kind of choked. In, in this yeah. match and the same thing happened two years later in, in a match against Denmark so we, we got the goal in the beginning we were pretty lucky to equalize uh, very quickly three minutes later but then again it was a struggle until the penalties so I think yeah, and, and that um, the, you know the even the penalty save I remember seeing when, when, when Rebic got brought, brought down and I thought okay are we going to escape this one Escape this with a narrow win, and then yeah. when that happened, I just thought, "Oh, it's not. It's just, it's just not the day." I thought this is history repeating. You know, yeah. I, I do think, yeah, psychologically, the, the weight off the team that match, I think it definitely helped, and they played with more freedom in in the, in the matches after that. Because as a as a fan, I I'm pretty relaxed because I think we have absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. We, we went past their group. We were second in our group in the end, not the third. We were not the. We were yeah. not like the third lucky team that uh, escaped the end of the tournament. So we were second, 
we are playing against uh, Spain that is strong, that is always strong, that is a favorite against us. Uh, we had a huge success three years ago in Russia. So these players already proved their points. No one is going to say that Modric is a less valuable player if we lose against the Spain. So I think, yeah, and I hope that this is in the players' mind as well, that they think, let's play and let's see what can happen. I think Croatia has nothing to lose. And yet again, we can gain a lot in this match. If we won against Spain and go to quarterfinals, there will be, again, talk about amazing Croatia, amazing Modric and all these other players will uh, rise in value, which will be uh, happy news for Zdravko Mamic, surely. <laughs> it's funny, almost every um, every kind of pundit thing or any kind of... No no one's given Croatia much of a chance in this round. Yeah. I think some of that's reflex. Oh, just assume Spain. Have you actually watched the team? Or well, they just saw the scoreline in the last game. You know, yeah. I think, yeah, as I say, I, you know, I think this game could have a 2-2 kind of you know, to, to an extra time vibe about it, which is not really... Um, my nerves will probably not be up for that. But, um... <laughs> I, I always look at the, these kind of matches and, I mean, realistically, every match is like... I always say, if Croatia and Spain play 10 matches, in, let's say, 6 or 7, Spain will, will go through. In 3 or 4, Croatia yeah. will go through. So the question now is which of these games we're going to be played in the, on Monday. So... Yeah. It could be a 3-0 Croatia win or uh, another 6-0 disaster. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So, it, it's, it's, it, it's a random event. So, so Yes, but I think, I think what you say is true, that it's, it depends, you know, what team turns up. There's at least one thing I call, is that the, the intensity looked a bit back in the last game. I mean, you know, Modric still, you know, he still impresses me so much in that way that he plays, you know, every game matters to him. You know, and I think some of the other players, maybe when they're feeling a bit, you know, like, it, it it makes them when he scored that goal, he just kind of pulled everyone, you know, like back up again. And I think, yeah, you know, it's that kind of mental mental strength and stuff. It does matter in matches like this. It's not always about who plays the prettiest football, you know. I think I think I saw someone say that, that Scotland game was one that was Croatia's one of I think their worst game for. Where it, 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 it certainly they didn't create in terms of the chances. They weren't they weren't significantly better than the previous rounds, but they just they just finished them superbly. You know, and, and sometimes that's that, you know, that outlier event. Maybe they don't, they're not going to dominate Spain, but all it takes is, you know, when you get chances, you've got to take them. Yeah. And, in, you know, 90 minutes that can, you know, that can be done. It just takes maybe, maybe a bit of luck, maybe a rebound. I'll be, I'll be amazed if Perisic doesn't score. <laughs> I just know that I know he's going to come ready to play. Um, and he's just, you know, he's just such a, such a finisher, like when he, when he gets a chance. I mean, did, did you see that goal against uh, Scotland? That jump. So Tierney is like 178 centimeters uh, tall. And he was nowhere near this ball. And I saw one uh, coach made a statement about this. And he says, you cannot blame defender here. It's, it, it was absolutely impossible to, to, to stop him in the air. So... But you also mentioned Modric, and I think he's giving the strength to, to the rest of the team. And yeah. I'm, I'm so hoping that he will continue to, to play for national team. His last statement was he will play as long as Croatia needs him. him and I think Croatia yeah. will, need, will need him in the next five years. 
but he doesn't he doesn't look like someone who's ready to retire yeah and uh, I mean imagine this Guardiol was born in 2002 so when he was like seven in 2009 and he probably then started to follow football more and I mean, that was at least with me. At the age of seven, you realize some things and you start tracking players and finding your favorite team. Modric was already in Tottenham <laughs> by then. And now, today, he's playing with him. So it, it's, it's an yeah, impressive... Yeah, that's great. I know. I know. And he was the youngest, Croatia's youngest goal scorer in the European Championship. And now he's, yeah. the, he's the oldest goal scorer. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine the level of honor and motivation and positive vibes yeah. that they all is getting to play with him. Uh, so we did. Do you have a, do you have a score? Are you going to, we, no, I, I said two, two was my score prediction. Have you got, have you got one? I, I always joke and say like a seven, four result. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I, will, I will try to be uh, serious now. Uh, I'm I'm hoping to see something like one-one, and let's go to the extra time and penalties, and let's call that uh, luck from from Russia. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. That's kind of my same thing. It's like two-two, and then just hope for a half an hour of you know half an hour of good luck. Yeah. Uh, one of the last questions, and I think it could be last. I was wondering, what do you think about? Even Rakitic and his retirement. Did he went too soon? I think that we would be very happy to have him now. Oh, the different, yeah, the difference he would have made. It's like you know, that's yeah, this personal decision kind of thing. I know. I, I think it was premature, but you know, we we are where we are. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I was not happy when I saw the news about him uh, retiring from the, the national team. And I still think it was too early. And I still think that this whole ecosystem around him, his family, even himself, the Croatian FA, the teammates, I think that some things could have been made differently. And we we could use him for sure. Absolutely. Any um, any final thoughts? I think we should... uh, no, I think we analyzed, uh, especially our team. Uh, we said what we think about Spain and our score predictions. So let's hope uh, we will be happy and we will record the next podcast. Of, and yes, talking exactly. About, if we have another about, game, if we have another, yeah. we'll have at least one game to talk about. Hopefully, we'll have, we'll have two games to talk about. Yeah, and let's hope in the next podcast we will uh, predict what will happen with yes. the next opponent and maybe to revenge against France. Against France, yes. For all those losses during the years and especially the most painful one for me in 2018. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Herman. Thank Thanks, you, everyone. Matt. See you. And See you. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.